Lord has spoken. Jesus, you're our Lord and our Savior, our God. We pray and ask that you meet us now where we're at. We pray and ask, Lord, uh, Father, there's so many different people in different stages in their relationship with you in this room. And yet we all come together to learn your word because we want to be molded and shaped into the men and women you desire us to be. So, Lord, for those of us that have been around the faith a while and maybe can draw a little, we can get a little bit prideful with our knowledge, I pray that you break down our pride. I pray that you soften our hearts to, to uh, just listen to your word right now and to acknowledge that you are God and you are king. And uh, Lord, to be molded and shaped uh, into the person you want us to be. Father, there's people here who don't know who you are. They don't have a personal relationship with you. Maybe they've been searching and seeking. And Father, I pray and ask that you would meet them where they're at. Father, that, that your spirit would begin to move and soften their heart towards you. God, we pray for those who came to be comforted, that you would give them the comfort that you can only comfort. We pray for those that need to be convicted, God, that you would convict. But most of all, God, we pray that you are honored with what we're doing today and that we would be a, a group of people that would leave this place totally changed to serve you. In your name, amen. Amen. In, uh, we're in a series called Jubilee, and I'm really excited about this series. It's been a, an exciting thing to go through because, I mean, Jubilee is kind of a weird word, I have to admit, um, but it's awesome when you begin to study about it. So as I began to study about Jubilee and what it is, uh, I picked out some different things. I said, Chuck, I'd really like to teach on these things. Uh, and so this week and next week, I'll be teaching on a couple of those. And, and this week, particularly, um, one of the things I want to talk about is slavery. I know that sounds strange, but, I, but with the year of Jubilee, uh, it, it was really interesting because what they would do is every seven years, the Jews would release slaves. So if you, uh, if you served for seven years, you'd be released. Uh, and, and I thought that was pretty cool. And the Jubilee year is every 49 years. So there's, you have to see how it's, it's every seven years is a Sabbath year. So if you have seven Sabbath years, that is the Jubilee and that's where everybody celebrates and, and, and everything's forgiven and it's really a cool thing. So as I began to study, I'm like, man, this is really interesting. And I noticed that throughout the uh, Old Testament and New Testament, there's all this underlying scripture, um, underlying language of slave language. And so I want to bring some of that out. And I want to talk about it and kind of walk through it with you. And hopefully you'll grasp onto what I think Jesus was trying to show us. Or well, I know what Jesus was trying to show us and teach us. And maybe you might be able to find some connection to it that might uh, enhance your relationship with God and your walk with him. Um, but before we do that, let me ask you this question. How many of you have debt of some kind? Like any kind of debt? Raise your hand. Okay, a bunch of liars. And I don't see every hand up. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, how many of you, yeah, you have some type of debt, you either have a car, uh, you know, a house, uh, a credit card, a kid you're still paying off, uh, who's in college, <laughs> some of you are dealing with that. Um, 
you know, it's amazing in our world and our culture that uh, the way we view debt is totally different than they did in the first century. Um, you know, if, if we rack up debt, uh, we have courts that protect us and our stuff. Uh, we have laws that, you know, say, hey, you know what, there's no debtor's prison. I mean, you're not going to go to prison. However, that doesn't mean you don't feel the pressure of that debt in your life. I know as we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks as a church, we're planning, hey, you know what, we want to be debt-free as a church. We want you to be debt-free. Let's plan towards that. My wife and I, you know, very transparent with this. Our family, you know, we've struggled with this. Uh, We've lost a couple of homes. Uh, We've been through a bankruptcy. And so uh, we understand that pressure of debt. We understand what it's like to be under uh, this vice and this constant feeling of, you know what, I can't get out from under this. But you know what's interesting? In Jesus' day and time, uh, if, if you were in debt, let's say you went out and you, you purchased a camel on credit. Uh, I don't know if they did that, but it's like, hey, if you give me a camel today, I'll give you a hamburger tomorrow. Or, uh, but if you purchased a camel on credit or whatever you bought and you could not repay it, basically what would happen is uh, you would have to go surrender yourself as a slave to that person that you owed. So could you imagine Citibank calling you and they're like, hey, you know what, you've been a couple of months late. Um, We're really sorry, but uh, you need to come down to our offices and basically you're going to work for us for seven years until you're finished paying off your debt. And bring your family with you because we own them as well. Uh, Have a good night, you know. (laughs) And basically you would have to do that. And so you have this whole picture of this culture that was living, if you were under the the vice of debt and you couldn't pay, you would go into slavery. So you can understand how it was, it was probably a lot, it was a lot different back then. It was kind of crazy because there was all this slavery stuff going on and people were in there. But it was common in Jesus's day. So what would happen is you would serve for seven years and let's say after that seven years you were done, uh, your debt would be forgiven Uh, You had a choice at that time as a slave. You could look at your master and you could say, you know what? I really like the way you treat me. And in fact, I really feel like you're a part of the family. This happened all the time because uh, the Jews really took care of of their slaves. And so what they would say is after seven years, they'd go, you know what? your, Your obligation is done, but you can continue serving in this family. All you have to do is ask. And so they would ask and they would go through this ceremony and uh, basically they would take the slave and they would put his ear up against the doorpost of the front door and they would slam an earring in it and that meant that that person was attached to that family or that master for the rest of his life. Isn't that crazy? And so he would go on serving, but it was by choice, okay? It wasn't by obligation where the seven years prior was by obligation. Um, so why do I say that? Well, look at Romans chapter 8, or not Romans, John It's been three services, so I can make a mistake. Um, John chapter 8, listen to what it says in verse 31. So Jesus here, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is looking at at, at the guys following him and he's saying this, Hey, number one, if you abide in my word... Which means if you live, abide means to make home with, to uh, like, like pitch a tent, uh, to make a house. So if you abide, if you live in my word, if you obey it and follow it, 
It's the center of your life, okay? That's what he's saying. So if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, right? This is the whole Asashima that we've been talking, the 24-7. This is what we're going through is living. By, uh, by doing, we understand. Okay, this is what Jesus says here. He's saying, you know what? If you abide in my word, you'll understand. You'll be my disciples. You'll be my followers. And then he says, when you do that, when you do that, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So when we live for God and we give ourselves up to God, then that means we become free. Now, what is he saying there? Because the Jews had the same question. They're like, we don't understand. Look at verse 33. So they answered him, and they said, well, Jesus, well, I said that. They didn't say it. They said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Okay, so it's all slave language. Okay, we have to understand that Jesus is talking slave language here. See, he looks at them and he says, hey, you'll be made free. And they look and they go, well, wait a minute, Jesus. We're not, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been under bondage. means we've never been into slavery. No one's ever, you know, enslaved us, which actually isn't true. Because if you remember, the Jews were enslaved by a lot of different uh, cultures. Um, So why they said that, I don't know. Um, if you can answer that, some of you Bible scholars. So, so, that's, so they answer that, and, uh, and, and so they ask him, well, Jesus, well, then how can we be made free? If we've never been in bondage, how can we be made free? So they're thinking physical, right? They're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm serving someone. It's physical. They're in the physical realm right now. I'm actually serving. I'm a servant somewhere using my hands and feet. But look at what Jesus says in verse 34. So Jesus answered them. And said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Uh Uh-oh. Who commits sin in this room? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm looking. Who needs a decision time here? Yeah. Yeah, who commits sin in this room? We all do. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all committed sin. And so Jesus turns it around. They're thinking slavery of physical sense. Jesus is talking slavery of spiritual sense. You're enslaved to your sin. That's what he tells them. You guys don't even understand that you're enslaved. You don't even understand that your master is the sin that you commit. You don't even know this. So the question then for me and hopefully for you when I read this is I have to ask then who is my master? Who is the master of my life? Like really, when I look it down, I strip down everything and I take away all the fluff and all that, who controls my life? Who do I go to for answers? Who do I serve the most? Who do I listen to? Who do I read and get suggestions on how to live my life? Where do I go for those things? What do I spend most of my time doing? Where do I spend my money? Because when you look at those things and you answer those questions, it begins to reveal who the master of your life is. So who's the master of your life? I hope the master of my life is Jesus. I hope the master of my life is him because he controls me and he's who I obey. And so you have this idea that Jesus brings and he's talking about slave language. And he totally begins to rock their world. Now turn over to Romans chapter 6 and look at what Paul says. This is kind of interesting. Paul continues this thought. And so, so he's setting up something as he's talking to the Romans. He says almost the same thing. Listen to what, what Paul says. In Romans chapter 6, verse 15, 
Paul says, well, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Basically, what Paul is saying here is, okay, we know that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. And we thank him for doing that. However, because he's forgiven us, does that give us a license to go on and continue sinning? I mean, hey, I'm forgiven, right? So why don't I just keep doing it? Why don't I just keep sinning because God's going to keep forgiving me? Okay, we're mi- obviously we're missing the point. And Paul's like, well, certainly not. That's not the reason. And we're missing the point if we do that. But listen as he goes on. Look at verse 16. So Paul says, do you not know? Now, when Paul says this, and he's going to say it in another scripture I'm going to share in a minute. He says, do you not know? It's almost like this, like, come on, guys, really? You know, that's our, that's our, you guys don't know this by now? Do you not know? Do you not understand? Do you, do you realize uh, what I'm about to say? And so he says this, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? So he's, basically what he's saying is, you know what, who are you presenting yourself to? Who are you serving with your life? I mean, really, when you get down to it, are you serving God? Are you serving yourself? Are you serving your work? Are you serving your family? Are you serving your kids above? The, the idea is this, not that we don't serve our family and kids, but we serve God first. We serve God above our marriage. We serve God above our family. We serve God above our work, right? Let's get our priorities straight. And who do we serve? Who do you serve? I always tell people this when they come into Fuse or uh, sometimes if we get calls for people who are hurting in their marriages and uh, we have some things, we have some places we can connect them. Um, But one of the biggest things is um, how's your relationship with God? Because if your relationship with God isn't right, then anything else after that isn't going to matter. You can have all the greatest therapy in the world you could have, read the greatest marriage books in the world. However, if you're not centered, if your relationship and marriage isn't centered in Jesus, then everything else falls out of place. And that's what Paul's saying. Like, who do you serve? Who do you serve in your life? Now listen as he goes on, he says this. He says, we can serve two things. And then he says, whether we can be serving a sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So there's two types of service. There's number one, I could be serving to sin leading to death, or I can be serving obedience leading to righteousness. So which one do you do? Am I obedient in my relationship with God? When he tells me to go, do I go? When he tells me to jump, do I jump? When he tells me, this is what I've called you to be and do. These are the things I need you to sacrifice. I need you to give. Do we jump on it? That's living in obedience. Or do I live well, you know what I think, God? I'm not real comfortable with that. I'll just do life the way I want. This is called living in sin. This is called living in obedience and righteousness and doing the right thing that God has called us to do. But listen as he continues. Verse 17. But God be thanked that through you, uh, that though you, I'm sorry, not through you, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That you and I became slaves of righteousness. Somebody need to hear that right now. That's why your phone's ringing. You needed to be, he's called us to be a slave of righteousness, not a slave of sin. To surrender to him 
And to allow him to move in us and work in us and to work in me and to move in me and be the man of God that he's created to be, for me to be, okay? Now, I hope you're catching on to this. Now, I'm, these are some, th- some thoughts, and I'm going to bring them all together. So hold on to this. Hold on to that thought. We're going to jump to another one in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So hold on to what we just talked about and just keep it in the back of your head. Kind of tuck it in there somewhere if you have room. Um, so then in 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to share with us some more of the slave language, and I want you to really hear what it says. Look in, uh, actually, I'm going to start in verse 18. So Paul says, flee sexual immorality, chapter 6, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Okay? So he says, flee sexual immorality. If you, uh, you know, the sins that we commit uh, in sexual immorality, we commit against our own body. Now, why is that so important? Well, look at verse 19. Then he says this, or do you not know? Here's that phrase again. Don't you realize... Okay, guys, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. So why does he say to flee sexual immorality? Because when I commit sexual immorality, I am taking what God has given me, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and using it and really prostituting it for my own desires. Man, and that's a horrible, that's a horrible thing. Okay, right now, uh, you know, Chuck and Pam and Ronnie and Natalia, they, they're in the Holy Land. And there's a couple pictures, if you look on their Facebook, of, of them going up to the temple wall. It's the last wall. It's called the Wailing Wall. It's where all the Jews go now. And that's, they, they put their prayers in the wall and they pray day and night over that wall and they just pray and pray and pray. Why is that so important? Well, because to the Jews, the temple was the place where God dwelt. So if the temple's destroyed, where does God dwell, according to them? So they go to the wailing wall and that's where they pray. And so as they put their, their, their prayers in that. Now I want you to think about this. What does Paul say? Paul says that's not where God dwells. God dwells here. God dwells within me. Does that make me God? No, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is when we accept Jesus to come into our life and our heart, when we accept him and we say we're going to live for him, he comes in and he makes his home, his abode in us. Okay, we no longer have to go to the temple to worship because the temple is here. So when you take that, don't you know that your temple, your body is the temple? So when you commit sin, you're bringing it with you, the temple. Do you catch this? You can see how crazy this gets. Now listen to what he says. So he says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? This is slave language. He's saying, you're owned. Some of you are like, I don't like that. Well, he's saying, you are not your own. When you surrendered your life to me, you gave it up. You said, I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness, and I want to follow Christ, and so I surrender myself to him. And you, in that place, you're not your own anymore. You become his. He owns you. He put his name upon you so that wherever you go, when, when you're at Starbucks, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're at the laundromat, where, wherever you're at driving on the street, you represent God. You are an ambassador of Christ as though God were pleading through you. We're not our own. He's called us to something bigger, something greater. 
So the question becomes, am I going to be a slave of sin and live this life that I, that I want, that I desire, and all these things that I want to do? Or am I going to be a slave of righteousness and live this life that God has called me to do and to go into the world and be a part of something amazing and incredible that he's called me to because that's what God has called us to. And he says, you're not your own, you're mine. I put my name on you. And then he says this in verse 20. This is the, the icing on the cake. He says, you're not your own, verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you catch that? You're not your own, but you have been bought at a price. You've been purchased. It costs somebody something for you. See, I only spend my money on what's valuable. I hope I'm sure you do the same. I'm sure you wouldn't just go out and spend $1,000 on a candy bar, right? Because it's not worth it. We spend our money on what brings value. Is it worth it? I love yard sales. Uh, Michelle and I, we love going yard sailing. In fact, we've been at some of your houses for yard sales, and you know, we walk up, and you're like, oh, that's the pastor guy from Crossroads. Charge him double. Um, <laughs> And, and what's funny about yard sales, right, is you go up and, and, and somebody's selling something and you, they have this value to, that they think it is and you have a value. Sometimes that doesn't match. You're like, hey, I'll give you five bucks for it. And they're like, that's worth 50. You're like, no, it's worth five because there's value. I'm only going to spend my money on what I value most. Now, I hope this is making sense with you. Now, make this connection with me. If I only find value, what I, if I only find um, something of value and I, and I want to spend it, my money on that, then if I buy something, it's worth it. It has intrinsic value. So here's the question. If you were bought at a price, who paid for it? God. Every single person in here, God paid for. You were bought at a price. Now, what did God have to give in order for you to be bought? What did, what, what did it cost him? What, what, what thing of value did he have to sacrifice in order to buy you? And that was his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, who lived a perfect life, who didn't deserve what he got. And yet he died for me and for you. Do you catch this? See, when I hear that and when I understand that, when I can come to grips with saying the God of the universe has taken me and, and, and literally he sacrificed his life so that I could have life, how am I supposed to respond to that? I respond to that by saying there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him, right? There isn't anything I wouldn't give for him. Because if he sacrificed everything for me, I have to, in response, go, my, I don't deserve this. I need a Savior. I need a God. And here he, and he sacrificed for you and sacrificed for me. So if you don't think you're worth it, you have to understand that God sees something in you that you don't. He sees value that you don't see. That you are worth it. And I'm not here just to pep you up and give you this, but the, tr- the reality is, is that Jesus' death was real, and the reality is, is that he died for you, so you can be set free from your slavery. And in response, you no longer live in that slavery, you live serving him by saying, thank you, I don't deserve this life. I, Michelle and I talk about this all the time. 
Man, we went through a really tough time a couple of years ago. And uh, man, it was really hard. And when we came to Crossroads, we were broken and we've, we found a place of healing and we found a place where we can get back into ministry and get really excited. And God began to move. And you know what? We don't deserve this. We don't deserve this incredible body of people. We don't deserve the incredible fuse ministry that we get to serve under. And yet God continues. And I am thanking him constantly for that in response to what he's done. So God calculated that you are worth it because of his love for you. And our believing and living for him is a response to that love. We're responding to his love. And so I follow him because of his love, not for his love. See, I'm convinced, and I hear this all the time in the church, that people are here because they feel guilty. They, do, they, they sin, and then they come in, they go, okay, well, I'm gonna do my day of church. I'm gonna sit in the, I'll sit in the service and I'll pay my penance for a week and then I'll go out and live like hell and come back next week and get forgiven again. And you miss the point. You're a slave to your sin. How's that working for you? Right? How's that working for you living that way? And God's like, that's not how it is. Or we do our quiet times and we do it. We're like, okay, I, I gotta get my spiritual points in. I, you know what? So I do my quiet time and maybe God will bless me if I do my quiet time. Well, you're missing the point. We do our quiet time because we want to learn about God because of all that he's done for us. It's in response. And if we're constantly trying to earn it, we are what Jesus would call a slave to our sin. We're trying to earn it over and over again. We're trying to make it happen. And Jesus is like, I've already done it. Accept that you're accepted because I love you. It explains us even further in Galatians chapter 5. I love this verse. In in, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says this. Paul goes, and if you have your Bibles, turn there. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There's slave language again. He says, it's for freedom, you guys, that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that you have been set free here this morning. For freedom's sake. And listen as it goes on. He says this. Stand firm then and do do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, what is he talking about? A yoke of slavery being set free? I'm like, I don't really understand this. Well, what he's talking about is is teachers had different types of yokes that you would wear. And they would call them yokes because animals would wear yokes. And it would be uh, the way an animal would would go into a field. And they'd put the yoke on and it would basically plow the field. Well, they used that illustration in saying whatever teacher you followed, you put that yoke on and you followed that teacher. Jesus had a certain kind of yoke. There were other teachers in scripture, Hillel and other different rabbis that had these yokes that they would wear and people would follow them. And and Paul says, listen, you need to put on Jesus' yoke because Jesus' yoke brings freedom. Other teachers bring slavery because you had to earn your salvation. You had to do these certain things to make it happen. And so he goes into this thing. You have to understand that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now let me explain this. I, I, my beautiful wife is over here, uh, Michelle. And, uh, and let's say I went and I, I borrowed, or I went and bought her some flowers at the store. And I came home and I handed her those flowers. And I say, hey babe, I love you. Here's some flowers for you. And she's like, oh, you're the greatest husband ever. I'm like, yeah, I am. You know, and she's looking at her flowers, and as she's putting them in the vase, she goes, so what made you, you know, like, what's so special? You know, because that's like a special moment. You know, what's so special? Why'd you buy those flowers for me? And I said, well, I was at the store getting a soda, and, you know, they were 75% off. 
And uh, they said they were actually going to throw them out in an hour or so. So I said, you know what, I'll take one, pick one up for my wife. You know, I'm married to you, so that's what I should do, right? You know, I, so I, you know, I picked them up, not a big deal. You know, it didn't, you know, it wasn't out of my way or anything, right? What, what's she going to think about those flowers? They're in your face, buddy. <laughs> Why is that? Because that isn't real love, and that's what we do to God. Oh, here's my flowers, God, because this is what I'm supposed to do. God's like, I don't want your flowers. I want your heart. I want this. I want what's inside of you. I, I, the flowers, they don't mean anything to me. It's what's behind them. On the other hand, if, what if I, I came home and I had the flowers and, and I, I looked at my wife, and I've said this every service, and I truly mean it, and believe me, she gets embarrassed, and I said, you know what? I love you so much, and I don't deserve a wife like you, and I don't. I mean, look at you. Look at me. Um, there is a God. Um, and every time I see her wake up in the morning or go to bed at night, I thank God for you and look at the kids we have together. I mean, there is, I am so grateful and thankful. And so I bought these flowers because they represent my love for you. And I gave them to her. That's a little bit better, right? A lot better. Yeah, you can clap. That's fine. Yeah. Do you see the difference? One is out of obligation, and one is out of a response to love. So how do you respond to God? Who's your master? Do you respond out of obligation? Are you a slave? Or do you respond otherwise? Do you respond otherwise? Slaves do what they're told because they're an obligation to the master. They have no choice. Now remember that story we talked about. Slaves would go for seven years and they would serve. And then after that seven years, they would look at their master and say, you know what? I love you and I thank you for taking care of me and my family. We want to serve you the rest of our lives. And then they would go and get the earring and move forward. Turn over back to John chapter 8 with me and look at this. I didn't share this part, but I'm going to share it now. Because listen to what Jesus says here. In John chapter 8 verse 34. Four. So Jesus answered, we're back to this. Remember, he says, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. He says, we're all slaves to sin. And then he goes this, verse 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. Remember that seven years. A slave doesn't come. He doesn't stay in the house forever. He's temporary. Why? Because he's obligated. A slave is only obligated. He doesn't have a relationship with the master. He goes and does his work and leaves. He doesn't know really who the master is or love the master. He's just there because he feels like he has to pay back for what he did. Are you catching this? So it says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. And then Jesus hits him with this, but a son abides forever. Jesus is saying, look, you can be, you can be a, a slave or you can be a part of the family. What are you going to do? Do you want to be a part of the family or do you want to be a slave? Do you want to know the master? Do you want to live for the master? Do you want to obey the master out of a response of how incredible the master is? Or do you want to just come in and do your work and leave? Pay for what you've done wrong. The problem is you can't pay for it. Verse 36, and then it says this. He puts the cherry on the, the, the whole thing. He says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If the Son makes you free, you're set free. Every person in here is, can be set free. He has set you free. So when you hear that, you should go, I'm set free. 
Like I am no longer in bondage. I can live for Jesus and be set free. I can actually have a life where I don't have to keep earning my way. That Jesus paid it, and in response, I'm going to worship him with everything that I have. He gets it all because he paid for it all. Amen. He gets it all because he paid for it all. The word freedom is interesting, and there's a couple of word pictures that I'm going to share with you. And it means purchased our freedom. And it means this, the picture is a prisoner of war who is ransomed or redeemed. I'm a sinner, and I'm in a battle. And you know what? As a sinner, I blow it all the time. And I cannot redeem myself. I am caught in my sin. And if I don't know Jesus, here I am trying to battle it, and there's no hope for me. In fact, the consequences of my sin is total separation from God because he can't handle sin. And what am I going to do? And I can't stop. And my world is coming apart. And Jesus comes in and he ransoms. He pays the price in order for you to be pulled out of that and into being his son. That's the picture. Or another picture is this, a convicted criminal who's set free from the penalty of death. Imagine being ready to be put to death. And someone comes in and says, you know what? I'm going to pay the price for uh, that person's sin. And uh, you're like, well, you can't do that. Like, this guy's got to be put to death. Somebody has to be put to death. And Jesus walks up and says, I'll be put to death for you. I will pay the side. Do you see it? When someone does that for you, how do you respond? You cannot help. Oh my gosh, thank you. When we realize the depth of our sin, people, when we realize the need for him that we have, our response then, we can't hold it back. That's true worship. That's true worship, and that's what Jesus is calling us to, that redemption, that place of saying, God, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Take me into your family. You know, that picture of a slave working so hard to pay off this penalty of what they've done wrong, and he can't, and, and, he, and, he, and over and over, he, he tries, he works, he labors, he feels guilt, and, and it never stops. And Jesus is like, stop working so hard. Surrender to me. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. And if you just let go and, and follow me. Outside uh, the temple of Apollo in Delphi, there's this huge wall. And it's about a football field long, I think. And on that wall are all these inscriptions that carved into it. It's a granite wall, and it's still there after thousands of years. And if you look on that wall and you begin to read and you can understand the reading, uh, it, it's listed all of these names. Incredible. And all of the names, at the, some of them at the end is, uh, you know, like Bill Hadorn has been set free. And it's called the Wall of Manumission. And it means that somewhere a master has paid the price for their slave to be set free. Like Jesus had paid the price for us to be set free. As you walked in, there were walls. I don't know if you noticed in the front, outside. Those walls are what I'm calling our Wall of Manumission of saying, I've been set free. And even after this service, I want you to go and write your name on that wall and put your name and put so-and-so. You know, Daniel Long has been set free for Jesus Christ. Tara Long has been set free for Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Andy Smith has been set free for Jesus Christ. And you could go and list the names. Why? Because Jesus has set us free. He no longer wants you to be a slave to sin. He wants you to be a son and a daughter. So won't you accept him as your Lord and Savior, your master. Stop working so hard. 
Stop working so hard. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, there's a couple of incredible parables that I'm going to share. Listen to what he says. In verse 44, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let me ask you this question. What is it that you would sell everything you have to go and buy? Would you do it for Jesus? Would you give up everything you have to go to stop living under the the realm of slavery and to be a son or daughter? Would you be willing to do that? Because that's what he's calling us to do. Verse 45, he says this again. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls and who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. You get that? He sold everything. He went and he saw the value that he had and he sold it, all that he owned for one thing. We were at the beach once uh, a few months back and we were at Bolsa Chica with my family and we were all sitting there playing in the water and at Bolsa Chica they have this place where it kind of goes down real deep and the sand is really thick and there's a lot of shells and kind of gravel and it's kind of a fun. I throw the kids in and try and drown them and um, not really. (laughs) and uh, we just have a good time well we were sitting there playing on on this particular day Uh, the sun was out it was beautiful and I looked over and I saw my wife and she just had this blank look on her face and just was weeping and I'm like what is going on did she get you know bit by a jellyfish or a, a shark and she's just standing there looking in the water and I'm like Michelle and she said I lost my wedding ring now her wedding ring um is amazing because it's not just a wedding ring. It was her grandmother's wedding ring. Could never be replaced. It's handmade, special. It wasn't this fancy, you know, tons of... It was just a beautiful ring that reminded her of her grandmother. And, uh, and it fell in the water, in the sand. All of the family, we got together, and I remember we're digging through, and, uh, and we've got our hands in there. We're on our knees. The waves are crashing over us. We're almost drowning, and we're like, we've got to find this ring, and we're scooping up sand, and it's going through our fingers, and we're like, is the ring here? Is the ring here? And the kids are in on it, and people are like, what's going on? And we're like, we lost a wedding ring. Help everybody. You know, and I mean, my hands were sore after that, and we searched for hours. I don't know how long. I mean, it was a long time, and we didn't find the ring. But I wanted you to know there isn't anything I wouldn't have given up for that ring because it had so much value. Does Jesus have value to you? Are you willing to give up everything for him and to say, I'm going to do what it takes to be a son or daughter. I want to do, I no longer want to be a slave to sin. I want to be a part of the family because you can do that this morning. You could do that right now. And I'm gonna call and ask you to do that. If God is moving you to a place where you've been living as a slave and you need to be set free, you need to come to him and transition your life from being this slave, being this person trying to earn your salvation, being this person trying to do the right things and trying to look just right and be just right to a person that says, God, I am your son or daughter. I just give everything to you and surrender Because all you have to do is ask, write your name on that wall. Just put your name on that wall to to signify I've been set free. Maybe you're trying to earn your freedom. Your communication with God is a list of do's and don'ts. You know who you are. And then you know it's not working. And it's time, even as a Christian, maybe for years, that, that you have a relationship with him. 
that you don't live out of obligation anymore, but you're set free to serve a God that loves you and wants you to be a part of the family, then you need to pray this prayer. Maybe you're someone who's a slave to sin. You've let it control your life. And even today, you come in, you're like, eh, I don't really care. Maybe there's addictions. Maybe there's pride. I don't know what it is. You do, and God knows. And you need to surrender your life for him because you're a slave to your sin and it's not working. And so I'm gonna challenge you to pray that prayer, to surrender yourself, to be a part of his family, to jump in and say, God, whatever you want me to do. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the grave, you will be saved. If you confess him, if you say, I wanna follow you, he transitions you. He moves you from being dead to being born again. He moves you from being slave to being son or daughter. And some of you need to do that this morning. So what I'm gonna do right now is uh, I'm gonna give you a moment of silence and I'm gonna just ask that the Holy Spirit move. And if he's moving in you right now, don't ignore it. Just let him move. And maybe he's asking you to make this decision. For all of you here right now, there may be someone here who needs to transition their life and, and don't ignore the Spirit's call. And then I'm gonna pray for you. I'm just gonna go ahead and pray and ask God to move in your heart. And then if you feel that it's time for you to do this, then I'm gonna ask you to pray with me and I'm gonna ask you to pray Jesus to come in and take over. And I want you to do that along with me. So let's go ahead and take a moment and then I'll pray. Jesus, Master, Lord, you, um, you desire so much that we live a free life. And Lord, there are so many of us that are in bondage here this morning. And I pray, God, that you would meet them there, that you would begin to tug on them and set them free. Give them visions of how they could be living for you and experience you like they never have before. And so, God, I pray your spirit would move. I pray, Lord, that you would just tug on those hearts. Show those in this room that need to make that change, that need to be a part of your family and not be a slave anymore to change their standing with you. So right now, what I'm going to do, everyone, is... Um, I'm gonna say a prayer and if you wanna make that decision, you wanna make that transition, then just repeat that prayer after me. You could say it aloud, you can whisper it, you could say it to yourself. However you wanna do that, just pray it to him. For those of you who already know Jesus, just I'm asking that you pray for those around you, those that need to make this decision, those that need to make this transition that you've already made. Just pray that God moves in them, that they would stand up and make that choice so right now if you need to pray this prayer pray along with me dear Jesus I've tried living my life on my own and it isn't working I'm a slave to my sin I'm my own master 
and I want you to be my master. Jesus, please come into my heart. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin and my past. Jesus, make me new today through the death you experienced on the cross. Jesus, I want to be your son and I want to be your daughter. So set me free right now. God, I want to be a person that's set free. I want to live a life of freedom. And so do that in me because I'm choosing this. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. You made that decision this morning.